Good morning, welcome to episode 165 of Speech Therapy Memories, a speech therapy therapy podcast by me, Chris Way, speech therapist. So, um, I tweeted out yesterday about emotional based good avoidance, school avoidance, EBSA. Um, the term that I hear a lot about in work, um, and now I'm hearing a lot about at home as well. And um, the, the reception I've had from that tweet has been incredible. So lots of parents and other clinicians reaching out. Um, I didn't want to make it personal, but I remember when I qualified. So I qualified at age 24, um, 39 now. And at age 24, um, I lacked confidence in my clinical skills, but I felt I could do the job. So I cracked on and kind of worked for kind of um, six years before I had kids or had my first child. Um, and for me, and I know there are some incredible clinicians out there that don't have children and they're incredible clinicians. For me, I changed in terms of how good I was and how kind of how much empathy I had when I started having children. So when we had Izzy. Nine years ago, things changed for me as a clinician, and I, I, I don't know. I, I had more of a more empathy, but also more passion behind what I did. And I think that's when, from a business perspective, that's when things changed kind of significantly in the old company that I ended up selling up. And that's changed, and I've continued to develop. Um, I've got four children. I've got kind of Izzy, that's nine. Thomas is seven. Oshan is five, and Etta is two. Um, I'm rubbish. I'm rubbish remembering dates, um, but there we go. So, over the, I think a couple of podcasts ago, I kind of talked about you know, some difficulties that we were having as family, and, I, and I, similar to, kind of, I don't know, not similar to, but one of the things I, I try and do is keep the podcasts relatively upbeat. Um, and I don't tend to share too much. When it's difficult, I share successes. Um, I'll share gripes, but I'll share primarily successes. But um, we we have been struggling, um, and we're struggling with one of our one of our children to get into to get into school, and the the kind of the impact that it has. Um, I, I I understood it from other families what the impact was um, of EBSA. Um, and of any any level of SCN, but I don't think I had true empathy until I started living it. And we are well and truly living kind of every second of it now. Um, and working with kind of private child and adolescent psychiatrists, working with private clinical psychologists under CAMS and getting some support from CAMS um, with a school that's trying their hardest, but this is out, outside of their specialism, as they say. They don't really know how to help. Um, they're helping as much as they can, but they are, they're struggling to know exactly what to do to help. Um, they've got kind of referral to the, the local authority, the educational psychologist. I can instruct another educational psychologist. Immediately, I could find the whole team around my child. Um, but that's not what, that's not rushing things and also an uncoordinated, uncoordinated approach just doesn't work. I've got tons of experience in this from a professional kind of perspective. From a family perspective, things change a lot. Um, 
and whilst I say yes, I have empathy for families in this situation, uh, we are still in a very privileged situation where I've got the, the legal support on tap, I've got all the clinicians on tap, I don't have to wait six months for a referral. We've we've been in, under CAMS for, I think, just shy of a year, I believe. I'm rubbish with dates, I must say. Um, and we're just starting to get a little bit, kind of, um, a little bit of support, but better than nothing. I know families that have been waiting longer who can't afford private clinicians who get no, no, no legal support um, and have schools that are breathing down their neck. So we're we're in a very privileged position, but it is absolutely devastating. So yesterday, I mean, it's, as as a clinician, I'm being there for families is, is easier for me because I. I love my job. I, I work with a, a large number of families now in terms of the appeals, but I'm able to give them the time that they need, I believe, um, and families kind of leave with hope when I work with them and when I do an assessment and when I provide kind of a, a report, etc. I hope that things can change, hope that there's kind of um, a positive prognosis for the future. Um, but as a father and as a husband and as a daddy, um, father and husband um i i struggle with that i struggle kind of seeing outside of the this forest that we're in at the moment <clears throat> and it takes you to really dark like dark places to be honest it's it's um and trying to work out as a family how we can just get by as a as a typical family and how we can just carry on with experiences and kind of live allow our other children to continue to thrive and to live fulfilling lives. When you've got a young child that um, is unable to go to school um, and presents very challenge with with significant challenges um, with the thought and the anxiety linked to attending school or doing any kind of, at that stage, they're in kind of fight-flight mode, but they're also kind of... um, demand avoidant when it comes to anything so so yes you celebrate absolutely everything that they do um but you can't help but be kind of human and 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 go to places where you where you are frustrated and i as a clinician i see this all i see all the time and i'm like they they cannot help it but as a as a father i cannot help becoming gutted and frustrated because you have dreams and hopes for your children and and I know my children don't have um, kind of learning disorders. I know that they're very bright, um, and therefore I know that the, the future is bright for them. However, with with when a child is attending school, they are naturally going to slip behind. And the pressure on me, the pressure not from family, the pressure on me to to achieve. Um, is still there, and it's not a pressure I put on and I put on my children. But in the back of my mind, I'm thinking my children, my children will achieve. They're bright children. They 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 academically do really well. They've they've always had language skills with outside assessments. Obviously, I've been doing them for years. That are three to four years above their peers, not typically above their peers. But they're they're incredible children, and they're, and. And I hate the word resilient. I, I absolutely hate the word resilient in children because we, we, we talk about children being resilient, but then we forget about the, the level of trauma that things can have, um, that, that that events like this can have on them, and how lifelong that is. I had a, a parent comment on my tweet <clears throat> that they have uh, PTSD because of the experience as a parent, and I completely understand that. Um, I had to watch <clears throat> one of my children sob 
love to sleep last night because their sibling <coughs> had, had, was so upset and they asked, do they, do they need medicine? Do they need to be taken? Do they need to move away? And, and, I, and I don't have the, don't have the answers. Um, I, yesterday was the first time I've ever stopped in front of my, in front of my children and, I, and it was uncontrollable. Um, and it's yeah, it it was it was a very challenging day. I had a hearing and um a hearing for a child um in a very similar situation and an MDT for a child in a very similar situation that hasn't actually been in school for five years and is still trying to get herself into school. Um so I live in it at work, I'm living it at home and I keep we keep stepping back as parents and saying, How do we how do we get to here? And how do we get from here to somewhere else? And it's we, we you literally cannot see the, the, the you can't see out of this dark kind of tunnel at the moment. And I can't see where the light is. I can't see what angle it's going to come from and what what we have to do. I just know we just have to keep pushing through. I know that we have to kind of keep that team around us, keep on that on the back of camps. Um, I know school have talked about kind of potential fines and girls get kind of taken to court all the stuff. Um, thankfully I've got some very good friends that are top SDN clusters in the in the country that, that are will that have that are supporting me but also that they tell me what I need to do at the stages I need to do it. I'd say I I totally admit I am privileged in this situation but we're still going through absolute hell. And having to switch off from that. I've got two appointments today, so I've done I've taken three children to, to school um, and going, going to two appointments. I'm, I'm running an hour and a half late for my first, so I, naturally I'm going to be an hour and a half late for my second, um, which isn't great, but uh, thankfully the families I work with are very, very understanding. And um, it's having to switch off that kind of what's happening. Um, I know when I've had an argument with, uh, <laughs> with my wife on the, on the way to work, it's hard to get out of that funk zone to then switch on and do my work, but I managed to do it. Um, but when I'm seeing children that are in very similar situations to my own, it gets it pushing me to want to do better for, for them so that they are in a better situation. But it also reminds me every single minute of my working day what we're going through as parents. Um, and I don't want to, you know, as I say to, say to my child last night, who was very upset that I, that I had cried, um, I feel like it's, it's absolutely normal, it's natural for a man to cry, it's natural for daddy to, to cry. And when, and when they were crying, I was um, delayed with the emotion and saying, I'm not, not saying don't cry, I'm saying, look, it's absolutely not natural to feel sad, to feel anxious, to feel upset, given the emotional vocabulary, and then kind of, kind of validate the fact that they're sad, but also validate the fact that it's absolutely fine to cry. Um, we can have a lot of days like this, and I imagine weeks like this. Um, we keep in a diary, we're doing everything we can and it's, it's a challenge. Um, as I, mean, I I always talk about my, my podcast and me, uh, I, I sometimes record and don't publish I, and for me they're cathartic um, but the reason I'm posting this one and I will publish it because I want families to understand that we do get it as clinicians um, we're, we're not the vast majority of us, when I look at the vast majority of clinicians that I know, 
have been through very similar situations um, and they've, oh, they've been through similar bit of difficulties in terms of wider SEN and that's what kind of brings you to that profession um, and I think we're, we're blessed as a family that we have the resources but also we have the experience we have the I don't know if we have the resilience as parents but we have the skills that are needed to get through this patch but so many families do as well in terms of the skills and the, love and the, and the, the family support but for those that don't um, I'm just glad that there are some systems in place such as kind of legal aid funding that allow me to, to kind of support those families and to get to get those multidisciplinary team around them to provide some support um, but it's, it's just clear that the system itself is, is broken in terms of child and adolescent mental health services being I'm ex-CAMS. I worked in CAMS for two years over in, um, in Islington in North London. And we were stretched then, and that was over like a decade ago. We were absolutely stretched then. But we had capacity for therapy, we had capacity as a service to provide kind of what the children needed and what their family needed. But now I understand even further, it's not just about the child. <clears throat> and it's about the child, it's about their siblings. If, if, if a sibling is seeing, if a younger sibling is seeing an older sibling saying they hate school and not putting their clothes on and running around the garden in their underwear and screaming and trying to jump off the banister and trying to climb out the windows and um, doing very dangerous things and then kind of reverting to very fight flight modes but taking, but really focusing the fright part where they're fighting other people in order to I know they, they can't control it. When a sibling sees that, they, they, they're going to go through life. They're going to go through significant trauma. Um, maybe the significance is not the right word, but they're going to go through trauma. And as a parent, that is just horrendous. And you're like, what is the solution? And coming out with ad, ad, kind of adolescent mental health services where I worked in a private hospital, um, I could see how how these situations can escalate to self-harm and they, how they can escalate to kind of attempted suicide and without the right level of support and the right diagnosis and the right team around the child. Um, all the children that I saw in the adolescent mental health hospital to a secure, medium secure unit, um, all detained under the mental health act. All of those adolescent children there, I think were children, they're children at less 12, 12 or 13 and above. Um, all of them had checkered histories when it came to attending school um, and having the right support, but they all came from completely different socioeconomic backgrounds, from children of MP um, to children that were of kind of families that, um, that, that were really able to that were able to work um, and had quite poor kind of housing conditions. So the whole the whole variety is there and mental health doesn't care about your social status, it doesn't care about <clears throat> your race, it doesn't care about your religion, it doesn't care about anything, it just attacks. And then when it attacks, it spreads out, and it spreads out across the whole family. Um, and we've got, I mean, the child that is going to school is complaining constantly of tummy ache. Um, to me, that's, anxiety, that's an other side of anxiety. Another child is waking up with nightmares um, every single night. Um, the little child is crying on the way to school, um, on the way to nursery, 
um, despite being okay previously. And then we're making all these links. I mean, I, I have kind of a constant kind of, you know, like that feeling in your chest and just below your chest and your stomach. Um, but I have that kind of constant feeling of anxiety. Um, and then you get those moments of kind of, those kind of the sun through the clouds where your child is able to do something that you didn't think they'd be able to do and you celebrate that moment like grabbing a shower or putting their uniform on and, and but you but you still want the you still want the best for them and the, for me the, the best isn't always going into school but it's it's having an education, it's being able to just thrive, it's being able to challenge somebody and this this child wants to learn. Um just the situation in which they have to learn in um is something they're terrified of and it is absolutely terrifying. So um, I hope this podcast helps some people understand that they're not alone, um, that lots of us are going through it. There's some amazing groups. I mean, one of my favorite groups on Facebook is Define Fine. These are parents of children that have been told by their schools that they're fine in school, but they ask the school to define what fine is because when they get out of school, <coughs> they're not fine. And when, they're, when, they, when they move from being in school to... EVSA and they're unable to get to school and the schools are chasing them, the local authorities are chasing them, they're trying to find the right placement and then transition them slowly into the right placement. Um, but they've got lots of families sharing information on there, sharing, kind of showing you that you're not alone. So I'd, I'd highly recommend kind of looking at to find find the group. And then there's lots of organisations. Um, I'll, I'll be supported by the, um, the solicitors that are my, um, my friends. And but there are other organisations, um, legal aid, there's, there's, there's charities that can provide some support. So, so look out, you're not alone, you can, there is support out there. Um, today was always going to be a difficult day. It's, um, it's my nephew's birthday. Um, it's Amy's birthday, he's five today. Um, is he five? Maybe six. This is where I get it wrong. I don't know whether Oshan might be four. Oshan's four, you're right. Oshan's four, Amran's just turned five. And it's also the anniversary of my um, my sister's son, uh, Elliot, who, uh, who would have been 16 today. Um, he died the day I was born. So, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a tough day. Um, it's, yeah, it's a very tough day, but we've got we've to be resilient. I hate that word. I absolutely hate the word resilient. But, but we have to, I, mean, I, I always step back and think, look, things could be a lot worse. Um, I'm an optimistic person. I, I believe um, I believe in karma as well. I believe that the good things we put out come back to us. Um, I really believe in the positive side of karma, though. Um, <clears throat> and that the more we put out that's positive, the more we pay it forward, the more we look after each other, the more we'll be looked after. And that's, that's kind of my mindset. I'm, I'm not, not really... I don't think I don't think about the negative side. It's always I'm, I know I am just an optimistic person. If you've met me, you'll, you'll get that. But that doesn't stop me from going to dark places and thinking, oh my God, what's happening? How do I get out of this? How do we fix this? Um, but we fixed it, and we will. We'll get through this. It's, it's going to be a going to be tough. going to be a tough few years. We're counting down how many years potentially of of education we got left last night, and it's a long time. It's a long time to, to feel like the way we do, but there will be glimpses of 
the sun through the clouds and also there'll be rainbows and something to look forward to. Thank you so much for listening. Um, I know more and more people are listening to our podcasts. Um, so like I say, it's cathartic for me. Um, if it helps somebody, then great. If it doesn't help somebody, then it's helped me by being cathartic, by allowing me to get my thoughts out there and just not to shut them off, but to acknowledge that I have these feelings and that this is how I feel right now and this is what's happening in my brain. So, at the man, I'm rubbish about talking about my feelings. Um, this will destroy the most um, emotive podcast I'll, I'll make um, and also the most kind of glimpse inside kind of my life that I'll do. Um, but potentially, I don't know, we'll see. Right, take care. Thank you. Bye.